Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about how you as a leader can create and maintain strong levels of psychological safety in your organization. With me today is Stefan Wiedner. Stefan is a psychological safety expert whose career has been focused on developing sustainable, high-performance leaders, teams, and organizations. His passion for unleashing the collective potential of people has led him to co-found Numi.com, the global leader in delivering psychological safety-based coaching, helping small, medium, and large companies that want to improve team and leader effectiveness, leveraging the latest in human performance-based research. Welcome, Stefan. It's great to have you here today. Mike, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and your audience. I'd like to start by asking if you can define psychological safety for our audience, please. Probably a good place to start. (laughs) Yeah, so what is it? Probably you have been reading about it in headlines here and there and becoming a lot more popular a term. And what it is, is it's a belief that within your workplace, you can speak up, say what's on your mind, express concerns, even admit mistakes without any fear of reprimand, any sort of social consequence. So it's not necessarily a fear that you're going to get fired. It might just be a fear that, gosh, if I ask a question here, people are going to think I'm stupid. It's that kind of thing, you know, that that sort of interpersonal risk taking that I think we're all familiar with to some degree, probably all familiar with maybe sitting in a classroom and hesitating to put our hands up because we don't want to be that person who's asking that question or maybe oppositional or whatever might be going on in the in between our two years as to why we might not speak up. So that's psychological safety. All right, great. So thanks for adding that context in there and really kind of maybe widening that for some of our listeners. Now that we have a definition for psychological safety, how does one assess the level of psychological safety in their organization or team? The beauty with psychological safety is that it can be assessed rather simply. Amy Emmonson, she's a Harvard prof. She's done a ton of research going dating back to the 90s on this topic of psychological safety and why it's important and so on and so forth. And she's developed a seven-question assessment. So rather than guess as to how psychologically safe your team feels or the folks within your organization or your department, you could just administer the assessment. It's it's fairly simple, seven questions, and that'll give you an answer as to how psychologically safe folks are feeling within your work environment. Well, I'd say I'd rather answer seven questions and do something that's a little more validated than try to figure it out on my own. Once you have an idea of the level of psychological safety in your organization, what are some best practices you should consider, starting from a place where maybe there's low level of psychological safety and then progressing to an organization that's you know, probably doing pretty good when it comes to psychological safety. Yeah, it's worthy to take a look at what are the differences between an, a group that maybe has high psychological safety and one that doesn't. And again, remember, it's all about people speaking up and saying what's on their mind. And one thing we haven't mentioned thus far, Mike, is why do we care about psychological safety at all? And the reason why is because psychological safety is linked to high performance. So we know the best teams have the highest degree of psychological safety and the worst teams or the weakest teams have lower levels of psychological safety. So there's a high, very high correlation there. And that's also validated by Google. They did an independent study of 180 Google teams. So we know it matters and it matters for learning. That's how teams of people gather and collect and share information is by being able to speak up and say what's on your mind, right? So environments that have a lot of psychological safety tend to have a lot of dialogue and conversation and pushback. It's not 
marked by what I would call politeness. So areas where there's low psychological safety, often it's not that people are warring and fighting and telling each other off. They're just quiet. They're agreeable. They're polite. And so one of the developments to foster more psychological safety in your team is to start looking at how do we have conversation that's both respectful, but also challenges the status quo. And these are things that you might want to consider bringing into your team meetings, like having a specific agenda item. For example, you might want to say, as you're building a plan or you're creating a plan for moving forward with whatever project, at the end of that, you want to say, okay, we're all going to put our black hats on now. And what does that mean? It means, why is this the worst project ever? Why is this the worst plan ever? Why is this the stupidest thing we should <laughs> we should be doing or could be doing? You want to be asking those sort of oppositional questions so that people start to feel comfortable communicating in a way that's not always, okay, this is great. Let's move forward. You know, where there's this pervading politeness. That makes sense, Mike? That absolutely makes sense. And when we talk about problem solving uh, in a collaborative way or even some innovation, we try to introduce the concept in a lot of our programs about having somebody be the devil's advocate when uh, you know, you're trying to make a decision and trying to point out maybe the flaws in your process or in, in your plan uh, and maybe even rotating that. So it doesn't always be the same person because if it's the same person, it could end up being that everybody on the team starts not liking that person because they're always the naysayer. So moving on, there's a lot of talk these days and a lot of organizations are wrestling with hybrid workforce and remote work. What are some best practices that are more or maybe less effective when leading a hybrid or fully remote workforce? Yeah, that is a very common situation, definitely. And what do we lose when we go to a hybrid or remote working condition? You lose some of those nonverbals, you know, you're not bumping into people walking down the hall or seeing them in the staff room or wherever. And, and you miss some of that water cooler chat. We're social beings and we read a lot from nonverbals, right? We can see someone's maybe slouching their shoulders or, you know, you can pick up on these things that perhaps in a hybrid or a remote working scenario, you just won't see unless you're deliberately taking action to try to collect more information about where your people are at and what's up with them and, and their work situation, their lives, right? And I think with COVID, we've definitely started to see how someone's work life and home life are really interconnected. So a lot of emphasis has gone into trying to make sure that you know your staff and what's up in their lives personally and professionally, not just focusing purely 100% on work. So what does that mean? I think one of the habits that you definitely want to be aware of is making room and space to just hear your staff and your team members, just be able to have that, like that casual conversation. So you might want to have, let's say an open hour where you're just on zoom and anybody can pop in and chat with you or making sure that you set up maybe 30 minutes of one-on-one -on -one time with you one of your uh, team members. And it's not to always give them feedback. It's just how's, how are things going, you know? Because the more you show and demonstrate interest in other people, the more likely they are to feel comfortable to then say, hey, Jim, you know, that's a terrible idea, <laughs> right? They're going to be able to speak up and actually say what's on their mind because they feel that sense of comfort 
working around you. And that's harder to do when you're working remotely or in a hybrid work situation. So you need to be more deliberate about making that time for your, your team members. Does that make sense? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And yeah, making yourself available and just having some of those general conversations because you won't have that natural touch point by seeing somebody in the hallway or stopping by somebody's cube or somebody's office to you know just talk for a few minutes and see how their weekend was or how their evening was the night before and how their family's doing. I do believe in having a strong connection to manager. It's something I talk about a lot with all the leaders that we work with. And that's a big part of it. You know, you don't necessarily have to become buddy-buddy with somebody and go out all the time with them to really understand them and you know learn a lot and have a strong connection with them. So after you've been successful at building up a good level of psychological safety, you obviously want to keep that as a leader. How do you maintain that level and continuously look for ways to improve? Good question. And I think what it's pointing to is the fact that psychological safety, it's not like something you go and you buy it, you put it on your shelf and yay, now we have it, right? Right. <laughs> it is It is a, a an amorphous thing that can change with time, depending on what's happening in the situation in your, you know, in your workspace. So um, I love that you frame the question that way. And well, I think you go back to that, which you can measure, you can change. So what we encourage folks to do is, sure, you can measure it once, you get a baseline measure, but then measure it again and measure it again. We have organizations that will regularly measure psychological safety every quarter as part of their quarterly planning and their annual planning and so on, right? The the management team or the executive team will get together once every quarter at least. And then that's when we administer the assessment just to check in, how are we doing? And we can start to see the movement over time with things like the ability for people to feel like they can have open conversation and bring up whatever those challenging topics might be in your workplace. And so the best thing to do is just measure it and make it a discussion point. Yeah, there's no substitute for measuring periodically, doing some evaluation, and then something I tend to forget about is celebrating. That's a great point. I'm glad you're adding that, the, the, the celebration, because if you're explicitly trying to foster psychological safety and you're getting a measure that's affirming that that's that's cause for celebration for sure yeah and you want to take advantage of that and uh, be more positive have that positive mindset around the group so speaking of continuous improvement i understand you're working with another entity of our university of wisconsin system to leverage psychological training that already exists for counselors uh, in order to create an offering for business professionals what can you tell us about that yeah. Uh, so what do we know about counselors and the effectiveness of the counselors? The research shows that the best counselors, and these are not just counselors, it's anybody who's like in a helping profession. Those folks are more effective and get, get better results from their clients when they possess certain interpersonal skills. And Tim Anderson, who's a researcher at The Ohio State University, has been able to develop an assessment that measures these personal skills by giving counselors challenging moments in a counseling situation. So how they perform in these challenging moments is demonstrable of demonstrable of how they're going to perform overall. And it's predictive. So those who can handle these very challenging moments with great skill are likely to produce better outcomes for their patients down the road. And this was validated with hard data that because they had students go through this assessment, 
then go through their counseling training. Then they collected client data years later and how they performed in this interpersonal skills assessment was predictive. So we've taken that same logic and applied it to business settings, because if you think about a team manager, how are they at all like a counselor? Well, in a lot of ways, they're like a counselor because a counselor is helping an individual achieve greater results in their personal lives. And in this case, a leader or manager is really just trying to take a collection of people and facilitate greater outcomes. for So I think it's a lot of the same skills. And that's what we're focusing on is these facilitative skills that managers and leaders have. And we've developed our own assessment. So we're calling it the, remember the counseling assessment is called the facilitative interpersonal skills, the FIS, and we've created the MFIS. So manager facilitative interpersonal skills. And we're right now conducting a study to correlate those skills with psychological safety. So in other words, we have a pool of managers. We're going to have them assess their interpersonal skills by completing this performance-based task. Then we're going to correlate those results with the psychological safety of their team. So we're going to administer the psychological safety assessment for each one of their teams and see how strongly those two things correlate. So it's pretty exciting times for us because we're just about in that data collection phase. And, you know, it's a great hypothesis and we'll see what the results tell us in, in a matter of weeks here. Yeah, looking forward to seeing those once they are published. Yeah, and and just to tie it back to the University of Wisconsin, sorry, I uh, forgot to mention. So a number of the, the individuals that have helped us develop this MFIS, this new assessment, are all at the University of Wisconsin. They're either PhD students or uh, faculty in the counseling psychology department. So we're drawing on from expertise in, in the university there to develop this brand new tool and expand on the original research done at uh, the Ohio State University. Pretty exciting stuff. And it's great that you are working with the University of Wisconsin system. We appreciate it. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for taking time to share some thoughts and advice on creating and maintaining psychological safety with our audience. In addition to the free psychological safety assessment you talked about, if our listeners are interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? I'd say the best place to follow along in the journey is on LinkedIn. So I suspect most of your uh, listeners are on LinkedIn. So look me up. My URL on LinkedIn is linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash S Wiedner. So my first initial and my last name, S Wiedner, S-W-I-E-D-N-E-R. And I'd love to connect with you there. Sounds great. And I'll add uh, some information about how to catch you on LinkedIn, as well as that uh, psychological safety assessment that you talked about into the show notes. And then following up uh, later, once you have those uh, results, let me know. I can put those on there too. That'd be cool. All right. Well, in closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.